Welcome to 96 Greers, a podcast where we watch every feature film with Judy Greer in the cast. Who is we? We are Reg. And we are Patrick. Tonight we have convened in our kitchen to discuss the 2004 mockumentary Lolly Love, mm. directed by Jenna Fisher, a.k.a. Pam from The Office, That's starring right. Jenna Fisher, a.k.a. Pam from The Office, mm-hmm. co-written by Jenna Fisher, a.k.a. Pam from The Office, a year before The Office... Uh, aired that's right that's so. right she had appeared in very small minor roles here and there but mm-hmm. she she was not really an, uh, a known person before the office yeah um and at this point she was married to uh james gunn director of slither and the guardians of the galaxy movies and mm-hmm. other things yeah um super with super. Uh, uh rain wilson oh, okay. and uh, uh ethan uh, page sure yeah and of course, uh, one of the supporting uh, characters in this movie is portrayed by Dame Judy Greer, which is why we're here to uh, to discuss it. Elliot Page, I got the name wrong. Elliot Page, Ethan Page oh, is a that's wrestler. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Ethan uh, Page is a good wrestler, but not uh, an actor. No, I was thinking uh, Ethan Hunt from the Mission Impossible movies. No, the other Ethan. Let's put Ethan into Google and see what comes up. <laughs> I'm I'm generally curious. Who are the most famous Ethans? Hawk? Ethan Hawk. Ethan yeah. Suplee. Ethan Suplee. Was it Ethan Suplee I was thinking of? He's the one where he was like he he's like he's like a twerp and then he gets all muscly and hot. Ethan Embry. Ethan Embry. That would be That's who I was that's thinking. That's that of. twerp. Yeah, yeah. And and then he gets all like muscly in, yeah. in his later movies. Yeah. Um, so a, adorable in those early movies. No, so. yeah, and, and now now he's now he's yoked. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what was the? What was the? He's in Blind Spotting. Uh, he's in Cheap Thrills. Uh, the the Devil's Candy. Devil's Candy. That was the yeah, one where, where he's, he's like yoked metal man. Yeah, yeah, yoked metal painter man. Ethan Embry not in Lolly Love. No, he's not. He's not. Uh, no Ethan's in Lolly Love. <laughs> That's one of my chief complaints. To be perfectly honest, no Ethan's. No Ethan Embry. No Ethan Hawk. Imagine. If you will, Ethan Hawke playing himself in Lolly Love. I could see that. I could right? see that. Um, well, uh, maybe maybe the audience is is uh, not quite sure why Ethan Hawke would be in Lolly Love. So uh, why don't I start out with a, a brief summary of this movie? Sounds good. Jenna and James Gunn are a wealthy couple who live in Los Angeles who start a charity called Lolly Love, which provides homeless people with lollipops wrapped in inspiring messages. The documentary follows Jenna and James finding sponsors, designing inspirational lollipop wrappers, recruiting volunteers, and distributing lollipops to unsuspecting homeless people. The end. Yeah. Because this movie's only 65 minutes long. It's a short one. (laughs) Um, but it is, as we said, it's a mockumentary. It takes place in 2004 Los Angeles. It does sort of exist to to send up the ultra-privileged who uh, deign to turn their attention to the less fortunate in, a, in an attempt to puff up their own egos. Right. Uh, and they're playing lightly fictionalized versions of their selves. There's a lot of uh, like documentary footage and actual pictures that are... We're not taken for the movie that's like, oh, yeah, that's their actual wedding video in the movie. Right, right. Um, actual, you know, couples photos they have appear throughout this documentary. They're they're going by their own names. There's a certain point where James uh, Gunn is, a, is approaching a homeless person and he goes, hi, I'm James Gunn. And it's very <laughs> weird because it's like such a weird scene. And the fact that he is just using his real name is very funny. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, there's a moment where um, where Jenna's sort of having a, a crisis of faith and she calls her mother. And then you see in the credits, it's her actual mother who, who she calls. Um, you know, and uh, there are there are cameos from uh, people who they've worked with or mm-hmm. are friends with, um, like uh, Jason Siegel and uh, Linda Linda Cardinelli, uh, who uh, James Gunn had previously worked with on Scooby Doo. Yes, he was the screenwriter for the Scooby Doo movies where mm-hmm. she played Velma, mm-hmm. um, and she was dating Peter uh, or Jason Siegel at the time, um, and he had also previously worked with Judy Greer. Uh, so we will be going back to the Gunniverse uh, when we watch Super. Uh, or uh, no, Super is the one with Rain Wilson. What's right. the, the specials? Is the superhero movie that was the first movie he made when he moved to L.A. Oh, that's a, a James very Gunn small movie. independent okay. film 
that was a send-up of superheroes long before superhero movies became a whole craze. Okay. The Six Degrees of Judy Greer, in my mind, is that um, Judy Greer's first movie, the name escapes me at the moment, but a Sean Gunn was mm-hmm. her co-star, and uh, they remain close friends. Uh, she mentions... Uh, uh, James's brother Sean uh, quite a bit in her memoir um, as them being very close friends so I assume that was the that was the connection I mean that that's probably also a connection I'm sure that didn't hurt her chances getting in the specials so sure um, but uh, we're the specials we will talk about at a time but yeah it is definitely this was a very low budget mockumentary yeah. I, it, it feels like they wanted to do a project together that they and their goal was not to set Hollywood on fire with their comedy. Their goal was no. not to use this to springboard into, you know, uh, a career of riches and fame. I don't think, I, I think this was just like a fun couple's creative project. And James Gunn had previously worked on like trauma movies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So he had this like background in super low budget filmmaking. Yeah, it, it's obvious because as you said, they use actual footage from their wedding videos, but then the footage of the movie itself is not much higher quality. Yeah, it's 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 uh, consumer grade, you know, camcorders and stuff. And so so the fact that the cast is made up of called in favors of, you know, mm-hmm. Judy Greer, um, there's one uh, sort of minor character who's played by James Gunn's uh, sister-in-law. There's mm-hmm. uh, Lloyd Kaufman's in the movie. Lloyd Kaufman from Troma is in the movie. Yeah, let's get together on the weekends and have some fun kind of uh, kind of projects. It made the festival circuit. I mean, you know, nothing huge, but um, it, it did it did show at a uh, at some film festivals that year. Um, and you can watch it on Amazon. But uh, Jenna Fisher was not really enthused about being a director. Um, she said in, a, in an interview afterwards that it was. Um, just like way too much responsibility and she felt um she felt just spread really thin um being the director and uh starring in the movie um and that she uh, would prefer to just uh remain as an actor mm-hmm. or um podcast about her previous acting projects yes. as she seems to do these days um which you know i mean <laughs> good for her <laughs> someone's gonna make money off of that you yeah. might as well be you yeah exactly um so ha- had you seen this movie before we watched it for the podcast? So I actually had seen this before. Um, I was a huge fan of Slither when it came out in mm-hmm. theaters. That mm-hmm. was sort of my heyday of like being in high school and posting on internet message boards about movies and like getting into it with like horror dorks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Slither was just like a bla a you know, a total breath of fresh air in terms of what horror movies looked like in, I think it was 2006. Uh, like, uh, it was it was so original. It was so funny. Nathan Fillion, that was my ex- first exposure to him. I had not uh-huh. seen Firefly. And Nathan Fillion is firing in all cylinders. Elizabeth Banks is very funny in that movie. Yeah. There's a lot of very good performances and a lot of extremely gross special effects. And it was just like a perfect balance of really gross body horror and comedy that I became like, okay, James Gunn is the guy. Uh-huh. Uh, and I became very excited about, wh- wh- you know, how's he going to follow this up? What's he going to do next? Of course, it took him a while because Slither was a commercial failure. It was not marketed very well. And it's also when it, the the, the downside of being a breath of fresh air is that uh, people don't know what, it is when they see a trailer for it and they mm-hmm. go, oh, I don't, that seems like a risk to go see. I think I'm going to go see Saw 4. Um, <laughs> so, but like I I went back and I was like, all right, well, so what are the James Gunn things that I need to go see? And I had already seen the Dawn of the Dead remake and I knew I didn't care about the Scooby-Doo stuff. So I saw Tromeo and Juliet. And then the, I saw this disc was on Netflix and mm-hmm. I'm like, Lalila, like what the hell is this? And I like looked up the IMDb and I'm like, this seems so weird. And I put it on and it is so weird. <laughs> It's, uh, words fail me. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it is a, it is a very strange little project. It, it does seem like, uh, it is something that, uh, sort of arose from a couple wanting to do a creative project, uh, and then just sort of deciding to, um, to make that a little more, uh, formal and public. It, it is very much a look at like a very specific kind of person, Mm-hmm. Um, in like a very specific community, of course, that being like affluent people in Los Angeles. So it's not surprising that like a, a couple who is in the entertainment industry, that's where they would kind of um, find the fuel for their uh, for their comedy. Yeah. But yeah, it's not it's not often that you see uh, a movie that is uh, just the sort of 
brief singular thing it feels like it could have been a short to be honest very much it, it, we, we said it's 65 minutes it could have been 30 yeah easy or, or 20 <laughs> <laughs> um uh, I think I think Nathan Rabin, in his positive review of the movie, said that even at 65 minutes, it feels stretched uh, pretty thin. Uh, yeah. And I think the thing about this, it's a mockumentary. It's mm-hmm. certainly like it came out in 2004. So that's like right in the Christopher Guest era. That's, yeah. you know, in between Best in Show and A Mighty Wind, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. Um, or might have been the same year as A Mighty Wind. But at any rate, like the thing about the Christopher Guest mockumentary is that it is an ensemble. And so you're following yeah. a lot of different characters. Mm-hmm. This is, for 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 one, like I think it's a good target. Like I do think like, uh, I, I think the sort of single joke that this movie has, which is, that like rather than actually addressing issues of complicated problems like homelessness or whatever they want to offer lollipops to homeless people it's right. like it's like it's a good joke as far as yeah. like what is what is considered outreach versus what the how you know what the prob the size of the problem actually is right it it almost feels like just like a pithy one liner that gets stretched out into the concept for a movie yeah um but like in a Christopher Guest movie, that would be one set of characters, and then you would be following these others, right? Um, as soon as you hear the concept of their charity, you go, "Oh my gosh, that's so stupid!" And then the rest of it, by the end of it, you're like, "It is still as stupid as I thought the first second. Yeah, yeah. They they say what they're gonna do, and by gum they do it. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it is a very uh funny concept. Um, there are some lines that are really cutting and really well observed when Jenna is talking about um, getting sort of uh, mentally and emotionally ready to uh, to get this charity on its feet and to um, to carry out their mission and she says I have to confront my feelings about our wealth <laughs> which was really good um, or another moment where uh, for some reason uh, they're both very Christian which was which felt like 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 a really strange character choice. I don't think it makes sense for the characters. I think it makes sense for just like it's 2004 and it's in the height of the Bush era, and that's yeah, oh, just yeah. like that's yeah. a satirical target that yeah. you take aim at is like I guess is like uh, self-absorbed uh, hypocritical Christians. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I feel like these days it would make a lot of sense. There's a moment where uh, they are praying with Father Lloyd Coffin. <laughs> And he says, thank you, Jesus, for giving us the homeless people to help. <laughs> That's a great line. Uh, so there's like there's like some really good uh, jokes I really like. I really mm-hmm. like when you see their list of people in need, like yeah. that, they, that they sort of were brainstorming what their charity should be based on. Mm-hmm. I wrote I wrote down the whole list. First is cancer. Then multiple sclerosis, which is crossed out with the with the comment done to death. Yeah. One is gays in the military, military underlined. Have no idea what that charity would be. Um, the next is my favorite joke in this: abused women slash dogs. <laughs> the next one says incest, past or present, and then next to that is a comment that says freedom of speech issue. <laughs> After that, it's flipper babies, uh, cleft palate guys with a comment black. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dolphins, and then parentheses, too new agey, and then a comment, agreed. Africans, American Heart Association, tattoo removal, and then in parentheses, gangs, and then a comment next to that, good one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one the next one is just bulimies, not, and then a comment, not a real disease. <laughs> uh, old people, club feet, with the comment, tragic, diabetes, and then finally, homeless, great idea. And like, just the camera. Yeah, I love how it was like homeless with like an exclamation point and then stars around. Yeah, it. yeah. Like, uh, just like the ca- yeah, just just that list scrolling down that list is just like that is a really good setup to who these characters are. Yeah. Um, and there's it just every once in a while there'll be a line or there'll be an insight like that that is, and it, it's just it's not consistently through the whole movie, but there is just enough of those really uh sort of biting insightful uh jokes that really cuts to the heart of uh, something. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, where Je- like Jenna Fisher is talking about, oh, I don't want to start a charity just because something ba- bad happened to me. Oh no, I got breast cancer. Oh no, my kid got kidnapped. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like she, like she's really presenting herself mm-hmm. as 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 being very selfless, and which of course she's the opposite. Like right. There's uh, and it's 65 minutes, and there's enough of those jokes across those 65 minutes that I do I do enjoy this movie despite uh, uh not necessarily enjoying all of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's definitely um, a good number of clever moments, amusing moments of improv, uh, just like like the reactions that characters have. This being 2004, I think that was sort of the era of comedy where things would just be very edgy. And there was sort of the idea of like, oh, we can have our characters say really horrible things because they're horrible people and you know they're horrible people. Um, There's a lot of that in this movie. I mean, uh, especially James Gunn. um, I mean, pretty much everyone in this movie is just saying really horrible things about homeless people the entire time. But of course, the idea is like, oh, it's going to shock you because none of us actually think that way, right? Right? Uh... Which, in 2023, doesn't really it it does it hasn't aged well. No, I I, uh, it, I, I associate that with trauma. I, there's yeah. a lot of this that feels like that trauma have their cake and eat it too. Where uh, trauma as a studio, part of their identity at a certain point was like we're raging against the sort of conservative right, and we're right. and like the you know the moral majority and all that stuff, and we're being you know in bad taste and everything as a rejection of our sort of right wing culture around us and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I, I know for a fact Lloyd Kaufman thinks of himself as very left wing or whatever, which is not backed up by like his labor policies or anything like that. But like, <laughs> but uh, he does he does pride himself on the fact that he slips real uh, political commentary and social commentaries into his trashy uh, mm-hmm. bad taste movies. Mm-hmm. And I think there is this feeling that it's like we're talking about real things, and that gives us the license to also just like make horrible jokes about islam or whatever like yeah yeah they really go all over the place in this movie um and and again it is mostly james gunn mm-hmm. who is creating this um completely out of touch rich guy character and he's a little bit like uh like will arnett's character on arrested development where he's just saying like some really some really horrible like racist things but it's just because it's like oh he's this like out of touch white guy and this is um you know he hasn't done any of the work and this is his idea of like how to be a good person and it's just you know uh completely fucked up and misguided um but it's not that funny it's like we've just seen that so much yeah maybe maybe in 2004 it would have felt a bit more fresh but there's been enough of a conversation about that where it's like uh, we kind of a, a we've seen this a lot and and b we kind of have thought about it a little more and it's like okay maybe maybe not maybe not I mean, that's um, the problem with the edge. If you're going to the, you know, if you're going to be edgy, if you're going to walk up to the edge, then what you're going to do is find yourself, uh, you know, uh, dated because yeah. the edge moves, the that's line true. moves. That's true. Um, and I think, I think the stuff of this that still works is the stuff that is just like, so it's like a perfectly structured joke about the way their brains work. Mm-hmm. Um, that like a, ter- a specific turn of phrase that it, that like shows their hypocrisy like within the line itself that always works. There's a very mm-hmm. funny line where he's painting, um, and he says, uh, "I can't help but think of Jesus Christ. He gave himself, and that's what I do with my artwork. The only difference is that Jesus is a totally made up guy, and I'm real." Yeah, yeah that was a really good line. <laughs> and it's just like one of those things where it's just like. Setting yourself up as just this like very moral, uh, you know, kind of a person who, mm-hmm. you know, and you're and like talking about Christ and like as if you're a follower of Christ and then immediately doing like, but he's a totally made up guy. Uh, it's just like that is just like, yes, that is directly into his brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas when it is just like a long running gag about him trying to start a cartoon with like a Muslim terrorist who like goes around talking yeah. to terrorists. Um, like that's, it's just, it just keeps going on and on. And at a certain point, you're not, you're not doing jokes about insight into how these people think anymore. You're doing jokes that are just like racist jokes. Yeah. You're just trying to get like a shock laugh, which is like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, 
At best, it's lazy. Right. Um, the, fir- the first, so the, the Mustafa is this character that he's come up with. The first joke about Mustafa, I think, is actually legitimately funny because, again, it's it's more about him as a character. He goes, he's a Muslim. He's somebody who's anti-terrorism. I think if the 9-11 guys had seen Mustafa giving them a positive slogan before they got in those planes, they would have said, gents, this is not a good idea. <laughs> And this is like one classic example of just like the wording is perfect and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's all you need to do with that concept and that character and that voice and mm-hmm. all of that. And then it's when it keeps hammering it on. That's when you're yeah. like, okay, now you're just trying to like just hit the bad taste button. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of going back to how this movie is structured around this couple and um, it's not an ensemble piece like a Christopher Guest movie might be. Um their relationship isn't very interesting. Um, a lot of the jokes are very typical gendered stuff where, you know, she's doing all the work uh, to get their presentation to the sponsor off the ground and he's playing video games and then he takes all the credit. And it, it, it just seems like you you can kind of see these these beats coming from a mile away because it's a very it's very well-worn territory as far as like, oh, you have this couple this like straight couple trying to do a thing and it, it just seems like it, it kind of always leads there um so that that part wasn't really no I, I feel like the character of jenna is not particularly well developed and i think the problem is that a lot of the time in the movie she just has to be the straight man to james gunn saying yeah. something outrageous and then she's getting secondhand embarrassment yeah whereas like in the again we're, we're talking a lot about christopher guest because this is the you know this is the culture like the mockumentary is the sole like domain of christopher guest really and may like mm-hmm. and also like the british office which did exist at this point and mm-hmm. i do think this is pulling from that a little bit um like in a Christopher Guest movie, the two characters are both off kilter, but in a way that balances each other, where in any given right. scene, they could be playing the straight man or they could be playing the crazy character mm-hmm. or whatever. And in this, like she often has to sort of uh, subdue her, like her character as being like the selfish, self-absorbed, wants to be famous for being generous yeah. person in order to be the person who tries to corral James Gunn into doing things. And then she just becomes the wife who, you know, who has, who gets all the labor put on her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, okay. Yeah. Of course that's the thing that happens. Um, also that, uh, that, uh, wanting to be famous for being selfless kind of gets, um, spread out a little bit uh, when they kind of bring more people into mm-hmm. their operation. Um, I'm specifically thinking here about uh, Judy Greer's character, who's Judy, because everyone's kind of using their own names. Um, she has a, a great line where she says that uh, she got involved uh, with Lolly Love because she's an actor and she heard that there would be uh, media coverage and she wants to get some exposure acting like she cares. Yeah. <laughs> And that makes like a little face after yeah. she like takes a bite of a baby carrot. Yeah. yeah. Like as if to say, or whatever. <laughs> Judy Greer, again, just like like super well cast in terms of just like her screen time is maybe under a minute. Yeah. In terms yeah. of like actual her doing things and saying lines as opposed to just being in the background somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like probably 45 seconds of this movie is Judy Greer. Yeah. But like so sharp, so like so clear eyed on like who this person is and how she would be in different situations. Um, her, her performance, um, had a little bit of, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia energy to me. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Where it's like, I, I am 100% self-involved and I am just doing the, 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 bare minimum i'm not even telling myself a fiction like these other characters are i'm just doing the bare minimum to convince other people that i give a fuck because i'm really just here for myself i feel like that show is also maybe a good like to talk about 2004 i think that's like the year the year it's always sunny started yeah Um, and it's like that that is the world that this exists in you know uh, in terms of like edgy comedy and stuff yeah absolutely um yeah, she's so funny. I I love um her like little vein. Like they're they're doing a self defense course and mm-hmm. and the the instructor is telling everybody to vocalize as they punch to like <laughs> throw their punches better. And her little vocalizations are very sexual and demure. That she's like, uh. <laughs> she's like one, two. <laughs> I, I, um, like she doesn't want to appear masculine at all on camera. So she yeah. has to be like, throw the most feminine punches. I, I'm a big fan of, um, weird 
subtitle descriptions and i noticed when she throws the punch the subtitle is simpers <laughs> yeah 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 i was a fan of that this yeah. is a movie where judy grew simpers yes. i, I, I yes. agree on that i'm curious so uh like i said like we said very short movie very simple movie eventually the the climax of the movie is they go to a park where they hand out lollipops to the homeless and the way they shot this by all accounts by all appearances is that they went to a park where a bunch of homeless people were and handed out lollipops to them. That is how it appeared to me as well. There's a couple uh there's a couple of those characters who have lines and they are credited differently in the end credits. Y- y- yeah. So there's definitely some actors like the uh, like the final confrontation at the end is definitely an actor. Yeah, yeah, I I was a little uncomfortable watching that, but I did see, I did see that that the guy who is the most confrontational um it, it looks like he also had some other film credits. So yeah, I guess, he, you know, he was an actor with, it, with given lines and everything. But I'm yeah. curious, like, how you feel about them going into an actual park and, like, just literally filming themselves saying, hi, I'm James Gunn and handing lollipops to homeless people. I really hope those people got paid. <laughs> I bet they did not get paid very well. The I think the total budget of this movie is $1,500. So, I hope fourteen hundred ninety nine of those dollars <laughs> I, went to those people hanging out in the park. There's about twenty, uh, twenty of those people featured in the movie. So you like you do the math on like how much money everything else costs. That I'm I'm thinking they each got a twenty dollar bill or something like along those lines. I'm sure if they really didn't want to be in the movie, they would have refused to sign the waiver right, and not right. have been in the movie. But it made me uncomfortable. It it made it made me feel like as much as they are creating this movie to make fun of the kind of people who would um, use uh, someone who's more disadvantaged to puff up their own ego, they kind of end up doing that. Yeah, in that scene, that's kind of how I was feeling. Uh, which... there, like <laughs> like there are prank movies like like uh, Eric Andre's Bad Trip, right? Um, is a prank movie that. As you watch it, it slowly becomes more about the bystanders and it becomes about the humanity of the bystanders right. and their concern for the situations that the people uh, uh-huh. who are the actors are going through. Right. And it becomes about like a real interest in how the public reacts to extreme situations. There's one scene in that movie where one of the bystanders is just a fucking champ. Like he, he is, he's like talking, he's trying to talk someone out from like murdering another person. Oh or yeah, something. yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, it's like Eric Andre and, and uh, I forget who plays his friend, but, but they're like going to get in a fist fight. And this guy like steps in and like deescalates the situation. Like, like a fucking hero. He becomes like a main character in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, <laughs> It's like, 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 it, it, I, I don't like the candid camera style of humor. I'm not that big into Eric Andre. It's just not something that mm-hmm. I cringe too much to actually like enjoy the cringe comedy. But there was that moment where I was like, why is it in this context that this guy is like getting his moment to shine when it's like completely false? And it's like, you know, th- this is someone who obviously like, like has like the, the, the skills and the integrity to, um, to step into these difficult situations. And it's like, Oh, this is when you're going to see him when it's like a goof. It's, it was kind of a, I mean, I mean, you don't, you don't know what his job is. Maybe this is something you know. he does for a living and he just doesn't have cameras on him when he does it. Yeah. But yeah. Like- and, and again, like he signed the waiver. So obviously he had a sense of humor right. about and he comes it. To, and he comes across as great. He's our yeah. hero. We love oh, that yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I even, I even love some of the shitty bystanders. I love that. I love that snitch woman in that diner. And <laughs> it was in like Trenton or Newark or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, but I, I, I want to use bad trip as like an example of like, there is a way to like incorporate bystanders and like mm-hmm. prank people in the fiction of your comedy mm-hmm. in a way that is empathetic and interested in them as people and not interested in reducing them yeah. into like a joke. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think actually like a lot of the Eric Andre show goes the opposite direction. And mm-hmm. it's a lot of like, let's find the ugliest person in this crowd and let's freeze frame them on the ugliest face they yeah. make. And then let's make, and then let's digitally manipulate it to make them look even uglier. Like that is not the feeling of bad trip, but that is the feeling of lolly love to me. It's mm-hmm. like, these people are set dressing. Yeah. These, these people, yeah. they were like, who are the most, did, uh, you know, who, who are the poorest looking people lying down in mm-hmm. this park? Let's make sure to get a good shot of them. Yeah. Um, and that's that. And that to me is where like the inhumanity comes from. It's not necessarily like you can't incorporate real people into your mockumentary or whatever, right. but like, but like, how are the, how are they being used and how are, how is the audience being asked to think of them? Um, yeah. And, and again, it, it's, it's completely in the vein of the sense of humor that they are 
relying on where it's just like let's make this as ugly a situation as possible for for shock laughs and just to to make fun of our characters um but they even they even go out of the way to like really like um you know wear like really nice dresses and get their hair done and, and primp they're even wearing like like the the women who are handing out the lollipops in the scene are wearing like opera gloves mm -hmm. uh to just kind of heighten the the class disparity uh which uh, again, it's supposed to be like, oh, these are characters who can't read the situation, who completely don't know what they're doing, um, who who don't know... Who are there to appear as glamorous benefactors. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That just makes the whole situation like even uglier, heightening that contrast between this one group's life and this other group's presumed life. That climactic scene was, yeah, again, too much cringing to laugh. Like, like there is a version of the final confrontation in the climax where they get an act because it's like you can't necessarily count on a satisfying resolution to happen with just a random person that you you find out mm -hmm. in public but like they could have had an actor who got really aggressive because he felt he was being condescended to right. uh, but instead they get like a generically crazy homeless guy screaming sexually inappropriate things and cackling and spitting <laughs> right. on them so it's like they specifically went out and cast like the the image of the homeless people that James and Jenna, these characters have been like discussing the whole time. Yeah. And that sort of, that, that gives the game away. There's nothing about that interaction that is subversive of, of most classist assumptions that we are taught to make about homeless people. Uh, there's a, a character moment for James where he has uh, germophobia and he doesn't want to, uh, you know, he initially wants to go out wearing like a hazmat suit and a, and PPE, which is kind of ironic uh, to talk about in the age <laughs> of COVID. Uh, but this was 20, 20, this was 2004. Different times. Uh, different times. Um, you know, um, where where his whole thing is like, oh, he's he's a germaphobe, so he doesn't want to um, touch homeless people, and he's like, oh, homeless people aren't clean, and like that's like this whole thing, and it's and instead of being like, oh, ha ha, he's this, you know, he has this affectation as as a rich person, and he's so out of touch. It's like, well, that's that's not an assumption that really gets like subverted or questioned anywhere. That that's how um, I, I mean, I mean, just in terms of like you know, uh, public policy and just like, like actual public discourse on the houseless, like, like that's kind of an assumption that gets made. So it's the, the humor is just mean. It's yeah. just mean. Yeah. And the climax is this like completely stereotypical homeless person, uh, spits in his face no spits on his hand spits on his hand and he just has like a meltdown and there's news cameras there and that's the end of lolly love basically. Uh, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like this big takedown. It just, it just kind of feels like, 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 like their own ignorant assumption. Like, like you were saying, it's like their own ignorant assumptions were correct. Yeah. Um. And it's it's not. There's nothing redemptive about it for the movie itself. It feels like that was this this. Uh, moment in humor yeah oh you know we're gonna we're gonna say these things because it's like they're funny and we're laughing at them so that defangs them but not really because no one's actually questioning these fucked up things that we're all kind of taking for granted right right i yeah i i think i think that's definitely the the era i think this is a movie of its time and part of it's weird you know it's like it's James Gunn is like literally like the creative head of all the DC universe superhero movies at this point. He he mm. sprung board his success in in Marvel to that like very prestigious uh sort of Hollywood executive position. Oh wow. Um okay. Jenna Fisher it was the female lead on the most popular sitcom of its era that it that sort of it's the friends or the Seinfeld of that yeah. Uh, that set of years. Yeah. Um, like these are super notable people. Um, and the fact that you see this like super low budget movie, uh, where they're doing this thing is like, they're part of what makes it so weird and fascinating is that it is this like time capsule of like, give it a couple years and neither of them would ever have thought about making this movie. Right. This would have been total non-option, um, because they would have had actual careers to, to do stuff or whatever. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, I think, I think in general, 
if not the appeal, then the fascination I have with this movie and to how I think I think for a long time I've just been like, oh man, wait till we get to Lolly Love. <laughs> and it wasn't because I thought Lolly Love was great, but it was just like, I can't wait to try to unpack this because it feels like this thing that fell out of space and you're not exactly like, how did this happen? What is, it's very strange. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, I think all of that is sort of contributes to why I find this movie interesting. Also, Mm -hmm. like, historically, Jenna Fisher directed, starred in, improvised, co-wrote this movie, and then went on to audition for The Office, audition uh, for the American version of The Office, and those auditions included a lot of improv. There are scenes in this movie that just literally feel like scenes from The Office. The Mm -hmm. Specifically, their presentation to their corporate backer. Oh, yeah. Like, that is just a Michael Scott scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is just, like... (laughs) Someone, it's like if there was an episode of The Office where there was a homeless person in the parking lot and then Michael Scott freaked out about it and then everyone mm-hmm. saw him freak out about it. Mm-hmm. And so he decided that everyone else was uncomfortable with homelessness and it was his job to educate them. He would give a presentation in the meeting room that was exactly that scene. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, like there's, you can, it's very easy to write an episode of The Office that incorporates that. And so like, I do think it's funny that she, you know, the most famous, the thing she's most famous for and now the thing. I don't think she had much of an acting career after The Office, to be honest. She was in Walk Hard. She was like the lead of a couple independent movies. But yeah, I, th- yeah, I think she was the lead on maybe one or two other TV series that. Oh, she was. Um, yeah, I mean that didn't do as well as uh, The Office. Sure, sure. <laughs> that low, low bar mm-hmm. to to achievement. Um, but uh, but like uh, I I think it's like would she have gotten that? Highly sought after role. We watched uh, a clip on YouTube before we started mm-hmm. recording where we, you saw uh, where they show all the people who auditioned for all these roles. Mm-hmm. This was people knew this was going to be a hit because right. the British office was already a big deal. Right. Um, and so like Pat Oswald and Seth yeah, Rogen, Bob and Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk a- Adam Scott, like all these people who already had careers were were auditioning for the office. Mm-hmm. Would Jenna Fisher have achieved that if she didn't have all of this practice behind it? Who can say? So right. that's a it's another interesting like historical footnote for Lolly Love. Yeah, yeah. Um, it also like I do associate Judy Greer mm-hmm. with edgy comedy. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think Arrested Development has a different tone than this, or like Arrested Development in it is not quite and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. But you are right in that it can dip its uh, toes into it. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it is about out of touch rich people. Yeah. Um, and it, it is also um, a satire of the Bush family. Right. Um, so it, it does have uh, these ties into commentary on the Iraq War. I think for its time, it was pretty pretty edgy. Um, I guess it just it doesn't hit the bad taste button as often. Right. Um, right. It, it it's. Body. It's yeah. It's it's. <laughs> I, I, there might be there might be a sense of camp to it all yeah. that makes it feel a little different than something like this or it's always sunny. But on then obviously Archer is a very edgy show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Archer is is definitely there to um to just sort of make you laugh because you're shocked at the horrible horrible things that they say in like every single episode. And I, I think like part of Judy Greer as a comedic presence mm-hmm. is that she just looks so cute and so sweet. And she just has that butter wouldn't melt in her mouth sort of approach. Mm-hmm. But like her instincts are kind of filthy yeah. and vulgar. Yeah. <laughs> and she has no problem being in material that is just like super abrasive. And sometimes it goes, you know, sometimes that means she's in in memory of my father. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> but like, but like, I, I do think of that. Judy Greer is not sort of separate from all the things we're talking about. Judy oh, Greer, no. uh, this sort of feels like, like Judy Greer doesn't have to make any racist jokes, but like mm-hmm. Judy Greer sort of lives in this uh, world of comedy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and she was on a couple episodes of It's Always Sunny. Oh, was she? Yeah, I think um, she's like a, a, a former high school classmate of Dee's who they used to make fun of, and then she becomes like a fashion designer or something. Um, she's on a couple episodes. That, yeah. that makes sense to me, yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, she, yeah, she absolutely does have that, um, that sort of... Uh, lack of a filter aspect yeah. to her that that you kind of feel like it like at any second she could just say something completely completely ridiculous and and just sort of like you know have a record scratch moment from saying something horrible or doing something horrible mm-hmm. um <laughs> but yeah in this just like very like like sweet blonde lady package which is it's it's a it's a wonderful contrast to see and, and yeah even when she's in this movie um like 
like screen time yeah maybe total of like a minute two minutes it's still um she makes a meal out of every line that she has that's all i have to say about lolly love well with that um i think it is time for us to uh take the next step into the other segment oh the other segment yes the other segment um our uh rotating segment where we come up with uh the fun kind of questions that you would dread to hear at an icebreaker uh at a work meeting uh (laughs) where the fuck do you work if you're hearing (laughs) what kind of furry do you think judy greer would be uh, I thought this was uh, a uh, diversity meeting. <laughs> I'm Reg. I'm working accounts and um, a pangolin. <laughs> awesome. Uh, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Um, so in a previous episode for Good Boy, um, we had compared that movie to George Romero's movie Monkey Shines. Yes. Um, which led you to uh to create a segment entitled romero and juliet uh where you wanted to know uh if judy greer was going to be in another uh george romero type movie uh what would the movie be Mm -hmm. so i took inspiration from that um we brought up christopher guest earlier as the uh the the king of mockumentaries um so my question is, uh, instead of George Romero, if uh, Judy Greer was to be in a Christopher Guest movie, what would the movie be and what would her character be? And I'm calling this segment Judy Greer, Guest of Honor. Oh, I like that. Huh. Guest of Honor. Very huh. good. Um, so why don't you kick it off? Sure. Um, so this is a movie about an unaffiliated, uh, local TV station in a small Ohio town. Most local TV stations have a major network affiliate that they're tied to. Right. Sometimes for various reasons, they lose that affiliation, but don't go under and they become an independent television station. There's very few of them in America right now, but they still do exist. Um, this is a movie about one of those TV stations. Um, but it's about this TV station having a chance to get re-picked up by a major network based on one week of their programming. So it's a very high-pressure situation. They have to impress the networks across one week of programming. You follow all of these characters. Uh, the thing is, they've been doing their things their own way for so long with limited <laughs> budgets. It's really a, a cast of kooky characters who run this place. Um, Judy Greer plays Shay Cinders. She's the news anchor who has a secret and troubling obsession with alien abductions. And she is convinced that CBS executive Michael Morris, played by Mark Evan Jackson, he plays uh, Andre Brower's uh, husband on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. She's convinced that the CBS executive who wants to pick up the station is actually a man in black. So she is at risk of sabotaging uh, all, all of the hard work that the station puts on because she thinks that he has ulterior motives. Um, but there's so many. It's a Christopher Guest movie. She is but a, a thread in a tapestry oh, of, uh, of wackiness. We, of course, have Lil Rel Howery. He's the sportscaster, but he has a side hustle of running an erotic bakery. <laughs> Parker Posey is a former drummer for a Riot Girl band who now does the weather, covered in tattoos. <laughs> Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara play a married couple who have a show about local history that keeps running into the horrific crimes against humanity that have happened throughout the, the, the history of their town. <laughs> Jennifer Coolidge plays a sexually inappropriate late night horror host who hates horror movies and never misses a chance to shit talk them. Oh my God. Chris. <laughs> Just, just Jennifer Coolidge in an Elvira costume. Yeah, yeah, Jennifer Coolidge in an Elvira costume. <laughs> I'm glad you followed me there. Okay. Please continue. Chris O'Dowd plays a single local dad who keeps trying to pitch shows that he can host, but all of these shows are very transparent excuses to meet women. <laughs> Michael Hitchcock is the station owner who's trying to keep everything together. He has a hook hand. <laughs> the movie is called On the Air. 
Okay. Okay. Great. That's my Christopher Guest movie I with Judy it. Greer. I love it. Uh, you know what? This is I. We have a lot of like we're we're both like dorks who like little creative uh, uh, yeah. prompts and stuff, and that's sort of why the other segment exists, so we yeah. could write write weird fanfic or whatever. Yeah. Coming up with Christopher Guest movies is a lot of fun. It I, really <laughs> is. I I like that you injected some fresh blood into this movie, like Lil Rel Howery. I think you do a great job in Christopher Guest movie. Uh-huh. I'm just I want to hear him describing various butts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that would be yeah, yeah. I love it. I was I was kind of kind of thinking along the same lines, sort of in the same arena. I actually didn't come up with a name, but that's okay. My movie takes place at a convention for the fans of an '80s sitcom called Gal Pals. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I know what this is. <laughs> From the mind of Christopher Guest, not someone who who takes CBD and watches Golden Girls before bed. <laughs> comes Gal Pals. <laughs> so the uh, so this is a a modern day convention uh, to honor this '80s sitcom Gal Pals. Gal Pals starred Catherine O'Hara and Jennifer Coolidge as twenty something sisters sharing a house and living their lives, uh, who become custodians of their nieces. Uh, who are played by Judy Greer and Parker Posey when their brother, played by Ed Bigley Jr., is comatose after a skiing accident. That is, and 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 this is a convention coming together 30 years after the fact to to honor this show and to bring all the fans together. I think Golden Girls convention literally just happened in Chicago. It did. We thought about going, but we said $75. That's a little too much. That's a little too golden for our blood. What do we live in a golden palace over? here um so uh so uh you know uh judy greer and parker posey um play play the two nieces so they're they're the child stars 30 years on um they they had a big public falling out at the end of the show they haven't spoken in 30 years and this convention is going to be their big public reconciliation now why are they reconciling uh well judy greer is a uh gwyneth paltrow style goop style oh health my guru God, of course she is um who is uh hoping to get some some publicity and some traction for uh her her new products uh and Parker Posey is running for mayor of Los Angeles and she is just a complete like like right wing wackadoo who um, who wants to ban NyQuil but she's hoping if she can uh, get in good with um, with the crunchy granola health guru she can be like oh I'm not I'm not against health I think everyone should you know live a healthy lifestyle uh, but taxpayers not going to pay for it you know or, or you know um, so so they're kind of you know still still really pissed off at each other but you know the stakes are pretty high for them to 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 play nice mckean guest and shearer are the writer directors of gal pals um jane lynch and michael hitchcock uh are the convention organizers and eugene levy is also there uh who, who is also in the cast of gal pals and played the neighbor who had a crush on Kath- on Catherine o'hara and eugene that- levy <laughs> He's so sweet. He is. Him, him and Catherine O'Hara just just they they always gotta have a little. They always gotta be together. You always gotta put them together. They're like salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. They're like peanut butter and jelly. I lo- number one. Ha- we, I guess we'll find out eventually. But like the idea that Parker Posey and Judy Greer haven't been paired together yet is just like why why aren't we running Hollywood? Like, what are, the, what are these fucking clowns doing? Why are they asleep at their desk and not coming up with 15 potential projects for Parker Posey and Judy Greer to play they off of each other? They would be really... I mean, I'm, I'm going to put that up there with the mystery of why hasn't there been a movie, which, I mean, obviously the, 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 the boat has sailed on this one, uh, Jack Nicholson with Christian Slater playing his son. That never happened. That never happened. That never happened. Uh, following Whip It, which is not a very good uh, Drew Barrymore directed oh, movie, yeah. I always thought that Elliot Page and Aaliyah Shawkat should have been in like 15 more movies where they play best yeah. friends. That's another like... Also, Whip It should have been gayer. It was so much gayer, <laughs> but that's a, that's a whole other story. I love Judy Greer as Gwyneth Paltrow, and I specifically <laughs> love Gwyneth, uh, Judy Greer as Gwyneth Paltrow in a Christopher Guest movie because you know there is a scene where they 
they sit Judy Greer in a room full of fucking crazy looking props and they just have her improvise what everything yeah, is. Yeah, I I think especially considering that it's like it's Christopher Guest uh and, and I feel like there always has to be something a little juvenile in mm-hmm. his movies. I I think her big thing is colonics. Colonics. I, that I think makes sense I think to she me. is like like pushing like like a chain of colonic spas. Mm-hmm. And that's why she wants to to have this um, this notoriety to kind of get that off the ground. Mm-hmm. I, I, I yeah, I'm imagining uh, I'm imagining her like inserting a jade, uh, saying holding up a jade egg and saying, "If you insert this into your anus, it helps with constipation and courage." <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah, like I can just see Judy Greer cracking they like these these off. Like mm-hmm, that is just like mm-hmm. a classic Christopher Guest scene where it's just like a montage of her picking up random things and saying wackadoo shit about like the supposed health benefits of them. <laughs> um, like this, this movie needs to happen. I love it. I know. I know. They don't pay us enough. They don't pay us enough. <laughs> do you have a segment? To I share? do. I do. I have a segment. So I thought this is a movie about uh, two people go, you know, in starting an endeavor on like a, a just a super misguided charity. Mm-hmm. And I thought there are so many wacky characters that we've already seen so far across the Judy Greer uh, filmography, even as early on in the in the show as we are right now. Mm-hmm. What would one of those char- characters do for a sort of misguided uh, charitable enterprise? And I call this segment a Judimentarian effort. Would you like to go first, Reg? Sure. Well, I I was thinking specifically about her character in this movie, Judy in Lolly Love, who we don't know that much about, no. but we do know that um, she is an L.A. actress, uh, that she's opportunistic, and she comes off as low-key kind of a dirtbag. Mm. Judy's nonprofit is called Wait for the Future, and the mission of Wait for the Future is to empower high school students um, by giving them professional experience and skills training in the uh, food service industry. What Wait for the Future actually shakes out being is that Judy uses teenagers as free unpaid labor to uh cater her parties oh i like that (laughs) so she just has these teenagers um whipping up the food and and um and being uh wait staff and of course tending bar uh at her little she she um you know get togethers in her la mansion uh until she gets carted off to jail Uh, just a Zit-faced 15-year-old boy shaking up martinis is a very funny image. Yeah, I enjoy exactly. That. Um, so for mine, I, I went back through the filmography and I said to myself, what characters really speak to you? And I just have to say, I love Penny from The Wedding Planner. Oh, sure. Penny from The Wedding Planner. Big heart, easily flustered. Yeah. D- um, Doesn't like when people smash plates. Gets excited, maybe bites off more than she can chew a lot of the time. Mm. So I thought Penny from The Wedding Planner uh, sets up a charity for people who can't afford nice weddings um, and because she thinks everyone deserves a big, beautiful day. And so what she does is she does discounted weddings to people who can't afford nice weddings by doing group rates at luxury (laughs) places. Um, But the way for the economics to work out is that there's basically 12 couples getting married in one ceremony. And they all pitch in for the venue, Mm -hmm. and then it turns out to be something that they can afford, and they all can be in that San Francisco garden or whatever. Mm -hmm. The thing she did not consider before starting this charity is that even if it's only one venue, she's still doing roughly 12 times the work for a single event, (laughs) including trying to find seating arrangements for 24 extended families. (laughs) So Penny gets... Very upset and flustered, chaos ensues. A group of burly men picks her up and whisks her away. And uh, after the first event, her charity folds because severe injuries occur when all of the couples try to cut the cake at the same time. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm, I'm glad that those burly men come back for her. Yeah. That's self-care. You know what? Sometimes you just need a Greek man to go, hey! <laughs> and take you away. I know I need a Greek man to pick me up and take me away and go, hey! Uh. <laughs> Throw some plates while you're at it. Hey, why not? I'm yeah. here. <laughs> when in Greece. <laughs> I like it. It has a real generosity to it. 
uh, that is a nice antidote to the to the cynicism of Lolly Love. Yes, <laughs> yes, I, I I do I do love the character of Penny, um, and uh, I. You know, I want things to work out for her, but yeah. she's going to get hoisted by her own petard. That's just, that's the penny way. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, she deserves good things. She seems like, she seems like a really uh, lovely person. A real, real, real A-plus best friend. Yeah. We would not expect any less from Judy Greer. That's correct. Um, So that brings us to our last segment, uh, Judalization. That's where right. Where we rank um the movies that we have seen uh in order of uh not necessarily the movies that we like the most not necessarily the most popular movies but how well does the movie employ the talents of judy greer um so as a reminder um the current list from best utilized to worst utilized good boy at number one the Wedding Planner at number two, The Descendants at number three, What Planet Are You From at four, Pottersville at five, The Cat Returns at six, and In Memory of My Father at seven. Um, so I have not ranked Lolly Love yet. Me neither. So here's the struggle. Mm-hmm. This is exact perfect role for judy greer yes and like judy greer just like clutch talent takes what little screen time she has and just is so memorable and Mm -hmm. so good and so just absolutely in lockstep with the themes of the movie totally Mm -hmm. gets what's going on Mm -hmm. in very few moves sketches a very vivid character Mm -hmm. that is yet still distinct from jenna and james right um not a lot of her in a movie even though it as short as it is you spend so much time with these characters that mm-hmm. it, it kind of grows old. If she was really well utilized, there would be a lot more of her. It, she mm. would have been part of an ensemble. Mm. And so it's like, I want to put her high, but at the same time, it's like, you didn't do the right She's thing. She's underutilized. She's underutilized. Um, that, so, that is a conundrum. So I, I think I would put her above what planet are you from? Cause she's also not in much of that, but I think she's better utilized here. Okay. Um, the Descendants Wedding Planner, good boy. Would you put her above The Descendants? No, I, I wouldn't. You know, she doesn't really get to uh, to bring out those comic chops in The in the Descendants. Um, she does get a chance for more range. Um, you know, uh, she, she still kind of gets those. She has more moments to kind of build out a character, um, you know, and, and she does get that that juicy monologue at the end. So I think that uh, that Lolly Love is um, not as well utilized as the Descendants. I don't know if I agree with you that it's better utilization than what planet are you from? Really? If just because what planet are you from gives gives her more specific of a character to work with. I mean, I mean, you have this character who is um, a flight attendant, who's an alcoholic, who is sleeping with a married man, um, who has like a, like a, a pretty funky bedroom. Uh, you know, that, that just, that just feels like it's a little, it's a little bit more, you know, we get to see her at work. We get to see her at play. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you get a better sense of who that character is. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, Judy Greer gets more time to, um, to, to, to bring that character to life. Okay. Um, would you say that you would put her above Pottersville? Yes, I, I would, because I think Pottersville, uh, wastes a lot of her time um i mean even though she does get to save the day in pottersville and she does get a few a few moments of of cleverness um you know it's it's a lot of filler a lot of judy greer filler uh so i would put it below what planet are you from and above pottersville all right i think we need a coin flip really okay yes because i i remain a little unconvinced i think we have disagreed as i walk away from my microphone and you can't hear me hold on just a second I think the record will show that we disagreed on what planet are you from and how well Judy Greer is utilized. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that disagreement remains and will probably still remain because I don't think either of us is rewatching that film. No, no. (laughs) So 
uh, this might we might end up having to flip coins around the vicinity of what planet are you from for years to come. <laughs> it might just become a tradition. Yeah. It might become a tradition. But right now we are determining if uh, you win the coin toss, it will go below. If I win the coin toss, it will go above. What okay. planet are you from? Okay. Go ahead and call it. Tails. Heads. Um, it is going above what planet are you from, below the descendants. Okay, so that's put, that puts Lolly Love at number four, fourth best utilized. Four out of eight, so right there in the middle. Well, I think that, that about does it for Lolly Love. Short and sweet and also kind of mean-spirited. Next up, uh, we will be discussing the 2015 comedy Addicted to Fresno, directed by Jamie Babbitt. Uh, and the cover art features Natasha Leone holding a dildo, so you know we're excited for it. <laughs> 96 Greers is part of the Now Playing Network. Check out the other podcasts at nowplayingnetwork.net. Follow us on Mastodon at 96greers at laserdisc.party. Uh, you can follow Reg on Letterboxd at Panda Bear Shape. Uh, you cannot follow Patrick on Letterboxd, but you can email us at 96greers at proton.me. And until next time, I'm Reg. And I'm Patrick. And, and say, say goodbye, goodbye to these. these.